podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone and welcome to the penultimate episode of Rival Recon for this historic season that the Reds are currently having. Having secured the FA Cup on Saturday, there's only two more Premier League games remaining and thanks to some Jared Bowen-inspired heroics at the London Stadium earlier, the Reds should be able to take their chase for the title right until the final day, where perhaps a few former Reds might be able to lend a hand. But on this week's show, however, we'll be focusing on that next Premier League hurdle as Liverpool head to Southampton on Tuesday evening. So joining me on the pod this week to discuss Tuesday's game against Southampton, I welcome back freelance football writer for Football Fancast, Dan Hargraves. Welcome back, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. No, good to speak with you as always. Um, and I was just, actually just looking back to sort of when what, the last time it was that we called up ahead of the uh, sort of Liverpool-Southampton game early in the season. That was November, sort of right at the end of last November. Um, and you spoke a lot around sort of the um, the sort of the growing frustration with some of the inconsistencies you were seeing from the Southampton side, despite a few sort of bright sparks here and there, and some players who were really having, I think it's fair to say, pretty strong individual seasons as well. Um, as we come to sort of the the game on Tuesday now, sort of being what right at the end of the season, I just I just wanted to get your, I suppose your sort of overarching thoughts on on. on how the season's gone, how things seem to have sort of unwinded over the last 11 games, I suppose. Um, and yeah, just, mm. just your just your general thoughts on how the season uh, appears to have been managed. Um, yeah, is I think it, there are very, there are a lot of frustrations. Um, I think mainly given how poor we finished the season. I think when you look at where we were. Kind of early March, you know, approaching the top ten into an FA Cup quarter final, we we've been in some tremendous form. We'd went to we'd gone to Spurs and won, you know, got a point at Man United, um, some impressive home results as well. I, I can't remember exactly off the top of my head how how many games in a row we went unbeaten at home, but it was a really good run, our best for a good few years, and then it completely crashed and burned, kind of like how it did last season, really. So from kind of being in contention for a for a top half spot, um, we've kind of gone down to nervously looking over our shoulders uh, with the uh, last few games remaining. I think. Yeah, I, I, I was just looking. It seems to be around sort of the Aston Villa game, doesn't it? On sort of uh, at the start of uh, the start of March, where things really started to unfold. Um, into before we sort of dive into that individual patch and talk about sort of how the um, sort of the reasons behind that. In terms of the inconsistencies that you'd seen this season, or actually that period of improvement where you mentioned the home form was looking strong, what was clicking at that point that sort of has now vanished? I think you know we had um, we had the same team pretty much starting every game. We had 
individuals in form. The likes of Armando Broja was hitting the back of the net regularly. Shea Adams was playing really well. We just had Stuart Armstrong return from injury. And although he's had a pretty poor season overall, his record in terms of the games that Southampton win with and without him is absolutely nuts. So he's very influential too. You had Mohamed Salasu at the back playing excellently. Um, we had three full-backs in Tino Libramento, Carl Walker-Peterson, and Roman Perro all playing well when they got the chance. So everyone knew their role. Everyone was playing in the same system. And I think games came quite quickly. And because we were in such good form, Southampton just picked up that habit of getting results and winning, especially at home. And then in terms of how it's kind of been undone, I think we had one shock in the Aston Villa game in the sense that they went all guns blazing, scored an early goal. And we just capitulated and we've <laughs> supporters were promised a response and we're kind of sitting here two and a half months later and it's gone from well from a four nil defeat to Aston Villa to I think one win in, I can't I can't even tell you twelve, thirteen games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the last eleven games. Yeah, the, the, there was one win in there, which was games. that um uh surprising actually it's a one nil win over Arsenal, which is obviously very amusing. But mm. <laughs> sort of that was the game that <laughs> it took. Yeah, and we've spoken in the past about these periods. It feels like under under Hassan Hootel, but not not necessarily sort of related to Hassan Hootel, but sort of Southampton managers um, over the over the years, where there appears to be a patch of good form, the team's playing well, and either it's an over reliance on a small squad, which I think you seem to be suggesting there, that yeah, it's, it's it's often been the same players rolled out week in week out to try and do the job, or it's actually just a lack of quality in certain places as well. Um, I, I was reading an article sort of earlier. Uh, today about sort of a five or six point plan to fix Southampton and it was just interesting some some of the uh, the points that they highlighted and I, I just want to start with sort of the first one around the the manager we'd spoken in the past about sort of your belief around how you know Hassan Hootel clearly a talented coach uh, but there have been these you know sort of wild periods where there's been some heavy defeats or sort of long series without sort of necessarily playing the best football or picking up the most points um, and you mentioned fans were in an interesting place, I suppose, with with Hassan Hutel and sort of their relationship with him at that stage of the season earlier on in the season. Where do you think they are right now? Very, um, very split. Very split. I mean, last weekend's defeat to Brentford was the first time there's been public kind of chance from fans um, wow. expressing desire for him to be sacked, which you know is is a pretty big. Um, it's a pretty big leap from where some fans were just a couple of months ago. I think this this run of form has really turned turned the tide. I feel like there's this this. I mean, I said it, I said it before last summer, you know, because we'd finished so poorly. But this summer really does feel like it's make or break for the Saints in the sense that it's the first summer window with new ownership, which has brought a lot of optimism. It has to be said, not the sort of optimism you're having at Newcastle. You know, these aren't owners with bottomless pockets of course they're not but at the same time it kind of feels like restrictions that we had under our previous ownership won't be as common now so it's a case of do fans trust Hazen at all to go and lead that kind of hopefully exciting transfer window or do we do we go for someone new completely to kind of lead that I guess revolution but from my perspective, I'm still of the mindset that he at least deserves to oversee this transfer window. I feel like having been given limited resources for the best part of coming up 
four years in December. You know, I, I, I think he deserves it. You know, we've been waiting for the new ownership to come through and he deserves the chance to kind of lead it. I mean, reports are suggest reliable reports are suggesting that we're going to be a very busy club in the window, but we're, we're going to have to be because the amount of teams that are going to have, you know, investment that are going to build, you know, Salandon will get left behind if they don't invest this summer. Yeah, and it, I mean, just just to hammer home that point that you mentioned there on Hassan Hutton, sort of the budget that he's worked on. Um, I've got it here actually. Yes, Southampton's net spend has been 22 million um, over the last five seasons. So just in comparison, yeah, Watford, for example, who are going down pretty comfortably, 125 million. But Burnley, 60 million. Brighton, uh, somehow 214 million. Uh, and even Sheffield United, um, who saw sort of yesterday. Um, have a have a higher net spend than Southampton over the last five seasons, which is about 56 million. So that really does sort of tell the story, as you were mentioning there, just how how little investment there's been and how much of a reliance has been on him getting the best out of a group of players that at times has shown that actually perhaps they aren't of the right sort of quality. He, he's he's had to pick them up off off of the floor after some heavy games, heavy defeats, and try and get those players to perform, which is, I suppose is sort of the challenge you were talking about there. Um, Sport Republic, as those new owners, as you mentioned, it does sound like it's going to be a busy, a busy summer window, and that sort of factors into some other some other points as well. Around, do you think there is a need to uh, shake up some of the the coaching staff around Hassan Hutal, or I, I know there's going to be a change in terms of the actual uh, the infrastructure above him in terms of the the scouts, um, and I, I, I believe the head of scouting from Southampton is actually going to be moving over to to Leicester, if I read that right. Um, so there's, it seems like there's the opportunity there to shake things up. Mm, yeah, no, I, I, I've been, I think a lot of fans have been calling for a change in coaching staff for a long time. You look at the, uh, the personnel on his, on his bench and I mean, the experience is pretty, pretty lackluster. If I, if I'm honest with you, I mean, they had, uh, they, he came in with Daniel Roll, who then went on to, have a role at Bayern yeah. Munich you know he's very he's very fondly thought of by Hansi Flick and I think he's gone with Hansi Flick to the German national team so that kind of tells you a lot about how good he was and then there was I don't think they made a replacement for for a, for a good while and then I couldn't even tell you his surname or pronounce it that's how kind of irrelevant he is in in terms of influence amongst the fan base but Richard I think killed Spielker Mm. Something like that. I've probably absolutely butchered that, but he's <laughs> he's he's down as the assistant manager. Whereas you've also got Kelvin Davis, obviously a Southampton legend for his playing days. But there's kind of a thought that you know is he only there on merit as opposed to his uh, coaching credentials? Again, Dave Watson was promoted from goalkeeping coach to higher up in the coaching staff, and it just it just kind of feels like. You know, a real rejig is needed. It, it doesn't feel like it's just on Hazen at all. But having said that, the same mistakes are still happening. Those heavy defeats. I mean, that defeat at Brentford last weekend was, for me, the worst result of the season. I think, I mean, we lost 6-0 at home to Chelsea, but I think losing 3-0 away at Brentford, obviously they've had a brilliant first season in the top flight. But the fact that they were just so far above us in terms of every aspect of the pitch, having been in the Premier League for just one season, was was nothing short of laughable, really, given the fact that we beat them by three goals at our place back in back in January. So that kind of emphasises how quickly it's gone from pretty excellent to pretty catastrophic for Saints. I mean, looking at the Premier League table now, 
the fact that Leeds are absolutely hopeless has kind of saved us from a potential late drop in to uh, to that relegation dogfight. You know, technically speaking, we're not mathematically safe. I mean, it would require a massive goal swing for um for one of well it, at the moment it's looking like Leeds to um to lure us into that bottom three. But the fact that you know mentally it seems as though the players have gone on the beach. With, with with safety not confirmed mathematically, you know it's it's laughable. What what looked like was going to be a really good season um, has just completely crashed and burned once again. It's the same mistakes, and the thing that's been frustrating for me, it hasn't really been spoken about in the fan base. But given where we were in my in March, obviously hindsight's a as a wonderful thing as they say. But given how poor some of you know the likes of Wolves, Leicester at times in the league West Ham have been of late. You know, if Sarandon had kind of continued some decent form, not obviously what they were doing, that wasn't sustainable. But if they'd kind of picked up a few more wins here and there, I honestly think we could have been knocking on the door of that seventh spot. I mean, you look at what Brighton have done. They've they've been excellent and that's exactly what Southampton should have done, really. You know, and they're kind of, I'm looking at the table and they're going to, they won't finish in that top seven, but they're going to finish awfully close and have a really good season. And that's exactly what Southampton should have done. They were they were above Brighton. You know, we went to their place and drew quite recently. It's it's been a real frustration as to how we're letting ourselves down for the same in the same areas once again. Um, and, and that and that's where there's frustration with Harzen at all because it kind of feels like he's the easy one to blame. We've blamed the players plenty of times. You know, he's the one kind of not rectifying these mistakes. Yeah, no, I think that's. It's perfectly reasonable to be sort of upset with the way in which yeah, things have have unfolded. And you meant, as you mentioned there, I think when when teams see that there are teams that are considerably worse than them, you do sort of wonder how that affects players' psychology and sort of the real levels of motivation that they know ultimately that it would take something pretty dramatic for them to to be pulled down into it. But that's obviously not the right mentality that you want to have at the club. Um, and you mentioned allowing Hassan Hutel the the opportunity to to stay oversee that transfer window perhaps have even more of an influential role actually in terms of sort of how how players are brought in. And I suppose it's also an interesting question around I'm sure the new owners are are contemplating. Obviously in the past Southampton were a team that you assigned you know, young, you know, I'd say like relatively unproven players but had you know had had good reputations and then build them um, and then look to to sell them for even higher um, sort of sums of money and then and, and then reinvested that money pretty well when things are working sort of the most most seamlessly at the club. Do you think that's still the same model that they will look to want to go back to? Or do you think there is a case that maybe, um, you know, for every Livermento, for, for every sort of young star that you uncover, actually there, there needs to be a couple of older heads in that squad as well who can, can I don't know if this is too much of a cliche, prevent those sort of games where there are heavy defeats or perhaps the team appears to lose their head? Yeah, I think, I, I don't think the mod, that sort of model is going to be as kind of, in the forefront as it used to be of course when loads of players of course were going to Liverpool but um, I think I think this last summer they, they kind of experimented the ball they experimented with getting these young players in and for the, for the most part I think it's worked I think it's just now where the season's crashed and burned that's where the lack of experience has kind of come into uh, tuition really it's, kind of, it's become incredibly obvious Um that kind of naivety that you know that some of these young players are going to have, which is 
which is obviously expected. And that's where I think Southampton just need to find the balance of bringing in some experienced heads who obviously have potential still. I'm not, I'm not talking kind of 30 plus. I'm kind of thinking the last stages of their 20s. Yeah, just to yeah. help some of these players through. You know, you look at Tina Livermento has been an absolute star. Given how little Salaman paid for him and the fact that he's just 19 years old, I'm absolutely devastated that um, his his first breakthrough season or his breakthrough season, sorry, ended with an ACL. You know that, that that's that's heartbreaking for him. Um, Mohamed Salah, I think he's been incredibly impressive up until this poor run of form, but people forget on the outside that I think he's only just 22. You know he's got plenty of football still to play. Carl Walker Peters. I think he's just turned 25, 24, you know, so he's he's got his best years ahead of him still. So, you know, there's a lot of young players in this Southampton team and the kind of most experienced head really comes, I would say, in James Will-Prowse at 27, 28, and that kind of tells you everything you need to know. I think we're one of the youngest squads in the league, which obviously is going to be very excited if we can keep hold of these players for a couple more years. But at the same time, with other teams building around us, we can't rely on that because, you know, so that Salamna could easily get sucked in. And, you know, all this, you know, finding young players for cheap prices and having them available to kind of make us a really solid Premier League outfit. Well, that's no good if Salamna end up dropping to the championship. No, of course. Yeah, I think it's, uh, and it's much easier said than done to actually sort of actually roll that model out, of course. But um, you, you mentioned some of those players there who, I mean, Obviously, devastating for Livermento to end his season that way. But I think you you, you spoke about Brozier earlier on. Um, you mentioned James Will Prowse, who I think is important to come on to, given sort of the individual season some of these players have had. But if you were to if you were to highlight those players, Salusu as well, um, who, who you think have had strong seasons despite this sort of recent run of poor form um, from the team, you know, sort, sort of players that you can look to sort of build around in the future. Who would those be that you wanted to sort of highlight? And has there been anybody that you think actually maybe has gone a little bit under the radar? Um, uh, we'll go with that second question first. I think Kyle Walker-Peters, he was my player of the season. He he got my vote. It was it was won by James Ward-Prowse, but he got my vote. I think the amount he's cut... I mean, to be honest with you, I can't think of many bad games in the, what, two, two and a half seasons that Kyle Walker-Peters has been at Southampton. I can't think of many bad games where it's really stood out that he had, he, you know, he kind of struggled. He has, for me, he hasn't put a foot wrong all season. I think the England call-up was incredibly justified and I'm really glad that Gareth Southgate recognised how good he's been. And along with some other players like Tyrick Mitchell, for example, you know, I'm, I'm glad he got a call-up because I think he's been fantastic. But for me, Walker Peters has been incredibly underrated. You know, I, I, I think he's currently better than any right-back at Spurs right now. And that tells you, a lot, you know, given that they kind of let him go for a limited fee. And what's been most impressive about Kyle is the fact that he had this 18-year-old right-back come in, no senior football, and pip him to a starting place in the Premier League on the opening day. And, you know, Salamon had already spent decent money to replace Ryan Bertrand with Roman Perro coming in. But instead of, you know, sulking, he worked hard. And he, he developed his game as a left-back. And for the most the majority of the season, he's played at left-back. That's why he got into the England squad. You know, he's kind of beat Roman Perro to the left-backs. left, to left But with Tino obviously being so good. And of course, now for the next handful of months, Walker-Peters will be back at right-back. But, you know, the fact that he's kind of developed his game that way, he's been really impressive. 
of course, we'll talk about Ward Prowse. I mean, the season he's had, you know, he, he, he's been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you can kind of see, given how much he's contributed, why he was in the final eight for Premier League Player of the Year. You know, I know a lot of and a lot of supporters, I think particularly top six fans, would have thought that, you know, various players would have been, you know, more more suitable for for a nomination. But for me, Prowse has been just his game's completely developed. He had a, he had a slow start to the season. I think he of all people would admit that. I think up until kind of October, he he was pretty pretty bang average, to be honest, given the fact that he just missed out on a Euro spot for England. He he wasn't really showing many signs of kind of developing his game, but he, he got sent off at Chelsea, had a three-game suspension, came back, having played hundreds of games consecutively for Saints. He came back and from then on has been an absolute rock in the midfield, winning everything. You know, of course, you've got the free kicks that he scored. He, he, you know, he scored a couple of goals outside of the box as well, or different types of goals. Um, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you his free kick accuracy this season, but I've, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was over 50%. I mean, every time he steps up, it looks as though he's going to score it. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, but as a box-to-box midfielder, you know, I think he's an excellent choice for England. I'm not just being biased. You know, his set pieces, his physicality in the middle of the park, you know, he's become a bit more of a brute, learned the dark arts. I feel like we've spoken about that before. You know, that was something Hazen has developed with uh, with Ball Prowse. Yeah. And then and then with Mohamed Salasu, it's a shame the way he's finished his season because he's been absolutely, <laughs> absolutely dreadful of late after what was such a really, really promising um, first kind of... They, mm, I, I, I'll divide his season into fifths. I think he had three, the first three <laughs> fifths were excellent and the, and the final two have been poor. So it's kind of become a perfect timing really because he was definitely going to be sniffed around um, or targeted, I should say, with big clubs sniffing around for him. I know Barcelona are interested, blah blah blah. But I think I think he'd stay on for at least another year. But he he I think out of him I think out of the three players I just mentioned, Salas is going to be the one that within the next probably two years I'd say will go for big money. I, I think that's how it's going to work out. I think Ward Prowse, you've got the loyalty factor. Walker Peters, he knows what it's been like to play for a big club and be snubbed. Whereas Salasu, without a doubt, would have been bought knowing that, or the club knowing that he would use the, use us as a uh, as a stepping stone. And in terms of some of the player, a, a, a player who's on loan, but I think I, I've heard comments around sort of a desire to maybe retain him for longer than that. Um, uh, Broya this season has been an interesting sort of player to watch in terms of when he when he has appeared to be locked in, uh, aggressive, um, and I suppose. As intense as possible, he's, he's he's proved to be a real handful. But then there's been there's been other games where it appears he's he, he's just drifting around the games. Um, his his season seems to have been um, almost like that, to be honest. Sort of you know, in patches where he's been sort of particularly hot, and then other patches where he's he seemed to make little impact. I mean, what have you made of him this season? What what kind of sort of forward is he at his best? Um, and then yeah, do you think what uh, he will likely be um, sort of Staying at the club beyond beyond the season, I think I think there was a lot of optimism that he would stay in the January window. I think we just had new owners. Chelsea showed no kind of necessity for a new striker, and then they obviously had all the um, stuff that happened with Roman Abramovich and you know the the sanctions that came with that. 
And that kind of correlated with Brogia's dip in form. If I'm correct, he hasn't scored a Premier League goal, I want to say, since our win at Spurs. He hasn't scored a goal full stop since West Ham in the Cup. So that's early March. Um, overall, you know, I, I, I really like him. I'd love him to stay. I think he's a really exciting talent. Um, physical, you know, holds the ball up well. I think he's got to work on his distribution a bit, um, working kind of in a partnership because of Ralph, like Ralph Hasenhoek plays the, the two up front. Um, but, you know, given the fact that he came in into the club as, you know, the, the plan was for him to be third choice with Adam Armstrong being bought for £15 million. And then obviously Shea Adams having a good season last year. Um, yeah, he's done, he's done excellently. It'd be nice if he could finish. He's on nine goals right now. It'd be nice if he could finish on double digits. Um, but I, you know, if, if you said to me, 20 million, 25 million Ambrosia can be asked permanently, I'd snap your hand off for that. I think what the frustration is with him right now is the fact that he just hasn't looked bothered for the last two months. You know, I think a lot of fans kind of feel like mentally he's already back at Chelsea. But for me, I, you know, I don't see how he gets into that Chelsea side. I, I understand it with Conor Gallagher. I can I can see that. But for me, I don't see how Armando Brozzi gets into Chelsea's team right now, even with whatever sanctions, transfer bans, whatever they're going to have to face over the summer. I really, With the current squad, I really don't see how, how Brozzi gets into that side. Um, so yeah, if the, if the opportunity to sign a permanent came up, I'd absolutely take it. I was saying. Hmm. And in terms of sort of, I mean, we spoke about the rebuild. We spoke about sort of maybe that five-point plan to try and um, sort of get Southampton on the best on the best foot forward as a club. You know, there's there's changes there that we that we were discussing around the infrastructure, around the around the coaching staff, around maybe having Hasselhoot or allowing Hasselhoot a little bit more influence on the players that come in. But in terms of the, the players you think he needs to come in in, in order to um, sort of I don't know implement his his way of playing yeah. uh, most effectively um, it's it's pretty clear sort of how he wants to play it always has been um, unless that's changed fundamentally do you think since he's been at the club but um, uh, yeah if you were if if you were to identify those sort of key positions where you think the club really really needs to get those sorted out this summer um, and then of course there'll be mm-hmm. plenty there'll be There'll be plenty of outgoings as well. It looks like even if there's, even if buyers can't be found for a couple of the um, players who are still at the club, it appears as though the club is going to be willing to sort of let them go anyway. So that sounds like it's going to be quite an overhaul in summer. So which which positions do you think would be the uh, the most important? Uh, well, it's, it's obviously cliche to say for a rebuild. I'd say all positions, but I think primarily for for me, it's centre back. I think. For a good few seasons now, we've just been shipping way too many goals. You know, I've I've not been a fan of Jan Bednarek for a, for a long time, and I think he's very quickly becoming unpopular amongst the uh, the fan base. With Salisu, there's plenty of potential. We know how good he's going to be, and yes, one day he will leave for good money. But with Bednarek, you know, given the fact that he's a regular international for Poland, he just keeps repeating the same mistakes. You know, he'll have one good game and then a couple of bad ones, and he just won't find that consistency. Um, despite adding goals to the game somehow this year. Um, but then you've got players like um, Fraser Forster, who looks like he's going to be leaving on a free... Um, Shane Long will be leaving. Jack Stevens, I believe, will be leaving. I think there are a few, you know, who have been at the club for a long time who will be leaving. So, Zamden need to kind of find find that extra squad depth in alternative and, in alternatives. And I think that's where the, uh, the, the summer's going to be busy. But 
yeah, I'd say I'd say centre back for me is the main one. Um, wingers, you know, we need a bit more creativity from out wide. Stuart Armstrong's aging; he hasn't had a good season at all. Mohamed Elianusi's never really been convincing for me. Nathan Redmond, I think, is going to be going. Um, so right now, we we've got we've got strikers in the sense that Shea Adams is kind of now proven to be able to bag double digits in the Premier League, kind of ten, eleven goals, whatever. And he's, I think he'll only get better from now on. Adam Armstrong has been a major disappointment in his first season at Saints, um, given the money that we spent for him, for him. But yeah, for me, I think solidifying that defence is is absolutely key. You know, we, we'll have the strength in every position, of course we will. But given that we've had, what, th- I mean, three, four, maybe even five seasons now going beyond Tarzan at all, of where we've just been absolutely hopeless at the back, just shipping goals for fun. You know, when we lose, we get battered kind of thing. Um, so that that needs to be cut out completely. And what do you say in terms of sort of the the types of defenders we need to be recruited? It, it's it's those that what have I presume pacey, good on the ball, comfortable sort of uh, sweeping, comfortable sort of uh, defending one v one. I'm 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 presuming you're not looking for uh, people who are comfortable just defending in their own box. Yeah, I think I think pace is a, is a good trait to have as a um, as a modern day centre back. I think Salasu's he's not particularly blessed with it. I think in terms of holding up his man, I mean he I, th- I don't know if he still does, but he was topping the Premier League for interceptions. You know, puts a foot in. I think you know standing his ground, he's he's a fantastic defender in that sense. But for me, it's it's not even just. The physical attributes, it's the it's the mental attributes as well. I think we need someone with experience, I'll be honest with you. I think we need someone, you know, kind of in the last stage of their 20s or someone who's, for example, captain this side. I mean, off the top of my head, I'd like a, I don't know, if we're going to be looking for the champ for in, in the championship once again, I think Joe Worrell would be exceptional um, if, um, if Forrest aren't to get promoted because he's captain his side for so long. Okay, he hasn't got the Premier League experience, but has the... You know, the leadership qualities. That It's that sort of mould I think we need. We need that kind of extra leadership in the side. Because to be honest with you, I think you are. it depends who you ask. But James Ward-Prowse, he's a brilliant footballer. He's Salandon through and through. But I don't think anyone's been 100% convinced that he's captain material. Interesting. What are the reasons behind that? I, th- I think it's just... He, he's. It doesn't. It just doesn't seem as though he rallies the troops. You know, I think when when Southampton are on the um, on the verge of a battering, it seems as though he drop his head drops a bit. It does. You know, he'll do the clapping of the hands. You know, you, you can see, you see it on the TV like clapping the hands, like trying to regroup, and then we go and concede another three, like we did against Chelsea, for example. You know, trying to galvanise the squad, be a leader on the pitch. You know, he leads by example in terms of his footballing ability. Of course he does. And there have been plenty of games this season where he's absolutely saved us. I think, I believe without James Will-Prowse's goal contributions, we, I think, I can't, I couldn't tell you exactly, but we'd be very much in the bottom three. Whether we'd be already relegated, I'm not too sure. But he's obviously been absolutely crucial with his abilities. But I think he needs that extra help when it comes to leadership because it does seem that too many of these players are just too quiet. They just don't lead by example. You know, they don't have those natural leadership qualities. You know, we had Jose Fonts, and I think he's a really good example of what we want from a captain. Kelvin Davis back in the championship as well. You know, 
big figure at the back, booming boys, commanding, leading by example. You know, a, obviously adores the club, which Walprouse does. Of course he does. Um, but we've had some brilliant captains in the past. And James Walprouse is a brilliant player. I'm just not convinced. And I think a lot of fans are like this. They're not convinced he's a brilliant captain. Mm. Yeah, even with that sort of more cynical side to his game, as we were talking about there, where yeah, he's 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 learned some of the dark arts. So, yeah, I, I do I do think it's whenever you've been captain uh, throughout a number of seasons where those seasons have featured heavy heavy defeats, uh, and yeah, you've obviously you're not, you're not able to single-handedly turn the tides of those games, especially if there's sort of systemic issues and things like that. But yeah, I think I. I I know what you're talking about. So the the ability to sort of wrestle back some control um, in games like that is yeah, it's a it's always a strong quality that you see from the best captains in the in the league. Um, and just one point before we sort of talk about sort of the Liverpool game briefly and sort of wrap things up. But um, in, in terms of James Ward-Prowse's development this season, you mentioned some of the the strong points to his game. But I'm I'm just wondering if you think there's a particular reason why things seem to have clicked so much for him or, 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 or do you think he's just coming into the prime of his career basically sorry how could you just repeat that for who who was that sorry oh just james ward prowse i'm just talking about so uh, is, is 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 there a particular reason why you think he's had such a such a burst of development this season um or do you think these um, are just these these are just the prime years of his career anyway so he's he's he's, he's, he's just finding his 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 best rhythm no, I think I think Hasenhutl's done a lot of good work with him. You know, I think man to man, he's coached him excellently. I mean, I think I've mentioned it on here before. How you know when um, when Hasenhutl came in, Warprouse was on the verge of leaving. You know, I think for Watford were interested. A couple of other clubs, I think some Championship clubs were were interested in him. You know, Mark Hughes. I don't believe he made the squad for Mark Hughes's final game or one of the last games. You know, he was that far down the pecking order, really. And then Ralph came in, worked and worked with him really well, and Walpass went on to score, I think six goals that season. And then yeah, of course he's working. He's always had the free kicks and the set piece um, deliveries. But no, I, I I think it is more the fact that he's kind of in his prime years. I don't, I couldn't tell you. Obviously, you know he's the best man to ask, but he hasn't come out and said that he's gone and changed his diet or changed his training habits habits or you know he's spending an extra five ten minutes in fact i've heard players say that now he doesn't even practice his free kicks that much you know he's that he's that good at it so i couldn't tell you if there's something you know some special you know energy drink that he drinks before every game or he's got a <laughs> ritual or whatever you know he they, he'd have to answer that himself i think it mainly is the fact that he's just come into you know the matters or the prime years sorry of his career he's got the england experience now you know i think he he's come out and said, in fairness to him, how how much the um the Euro snub effect hurt him, you know, and how much it motivated him, you know, the fact that he was in the provisional squad and didn't make the final cut. Given the fact as well, you know, we can obviously talk about hindsight for for hours and days on end, but given the fact that we lost the final on penalties and you've got England's best set piece taker at home, it, it does kind of make you think, okay, now. You know, if he keeps up what he's doing in the Premier League, he absolutely has to go to these tournaments. You know, with Qatar in, in what, six months' time, you know, he, he absolutely has to be on that plane. And I think, you know, the 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 experience of the rejection really kind of helped him. Yeah, and I think that's uh, 
it's an obvious factor to use that as motivation. And yeah, I think you're right. I think whenever there's a international tournament of any kind, you do want your best set piece taker to be there. And I think yeah, he's, he's surely, surely he has proven that by now. That sort of amongst the the options that exist in the squad, even with some of them who are you know, have wonderful technique. And I think yeah, Liverpool fans always always at pains to sort of defend um, Trent and his sort of uh, sort of weird situation around sort of how often he gets included or doesn't get included in the England squad. Um, but yeah, I think that. James Ward-Prowse's technique is very much not uh, not under question. Um, and, and, and so for the final two games of the season, it, it, it must feel slightly flat in terms of the fact that it, it appears as though the team are sort of largely already on the beach in terms of, in terms of some how these performances have gone. Uh, obviously, you've got Liverpool uh, on Tuesday, and then the, the final game of the season is uh, away to Leicester. What are you expecting from those two games? Um, I mean, are, 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 you, are you expecting more of the same in terms of some of the performance levels you've seen, do you, do you think that it is a case of just drifting towards the end of the season now and then sort of really, really focusing all the efforts on the rebuild in the summer? Or are you expecting there to be some sort of response after that Brentford defeat that you mentioned was your most disappointing um, moment of the season? I mean, I've been expecting, <laughs> I'm expecting <laughs> a, a reaction, a result for, since, since early March, I'll be honest with you. No, I don't think there's a sane fan that expects us to pick up a single point from the last two games. I mean, Leicester... You know, Leicester are a bit of a Jekyll and Hyde. You know, yeah, yeah. Potent, you know, potentially, you know, we could go there and get something. We've done it in the past. You know, they've not had the best season in the Premier League. Um, but in terms of in terms of Tuesday night, I think, it, you know, this team this team is incredibly unpredictable. You know, there's there's going to be two ways we kind of approach this game. We'll either kind of sit quite deep, you know, impress, maybe go into the half half-time goalless, for example, or maybe having a lead similar to that game, I think it was at the end of at the end of the 18-19 season, you know, when we took we took the lead and then lost 3-1. You know, potentially seeing something like that. Or completely out of the blocks, after us, similar to the Chelsea game, and we kind of feel sorry for ourselves once again. I, I, I don't see us getting anything from the Liverpool game. Leicester, there's a chance we might come away with a point, maybe a surprise win, who knows? But, you know, even though on the whole our home form's been pretty good this year, I, I, I can't see anything but a Liverpool win, given the fact that, you know, you're still in the title race. Okay, Jürgen Klopp's come out and said that changes are going to have to be made, you know, especially with the uh, the two major injuries after the FA Cup final, whether or not Van Dijk and Salah will be fit. Obviously, I don't know, you're, you're no better than me. Um, but I think everyone's just, I mean, for the last month, I would say everyone's been just waiting for the end of the season because it's been that much of an eyesore, you know, watching, watching this team kind of capitulate and just look not bothered and all these different, you know, aspects. It's just, I think now we're just waiting for the end of the season. Yeah, I think that's, I think it's fair enough. And then I think... Just to just to really wrap things up, then I mean, I mean, we spoke about a number of different things that you would sort of want for Southampton going into the summer and sort of uh, help the team kick on next season. If you could pick one thing that out of any of the things that we've discussed so far um, uh, that you could guarantee gets done this summer, um, whether it be a hierarchy change, whether it be a, a specific player come in, um, mm-hmm. or, um, or a specific sort of coaching thing um, around the staff there being sorted out. What would it be? Would it be a centre back? Would it be sort of, a, sort of an ironclad centre back? Um, I can guarantee you that we will be signing a goalkeeper 
given the fact that Fraser Force is leaving, oh, whether yeah. that's first choice or whether that's first choice or not. Alex McCarthy's just signed a new contract, which is baffling in its own sense. But um, right now, it seems like I can't even pronounce his first name. Bart Barta Dragowski of Fiorentina and Gavin Bazuna, who has actually just spent this season on loan at Portsmouth, which is quite funny. They're the two that have been named at the moment in terms of goalkeepers. But for me, I think besides the guarantee of signing a new goalkeeper, I think if we if we finish the transfer window having not beaten our club record me, I think a lot of supporters are gonna be really disappointed because it stands at twenty million pounds from when we signed Danny Ng permanently from you guys. Um and and I think now I mean we've talked about the net spend. If we're not spending more than twenty if our if our club record fee is twenty million pounds following the summer of twenty twenty two, given the fact that all these teams have come up I mean, you know, for example, we talked about Sheffield United, they spent at least thirty on Sander Berger. Okay, yeah, he's playing in the championship now. But it's just showing that ambition to, you know, splash the cash a little bit. Of course, you know, some of our big signings and big money signings that is haven't worked out, the likes of Sofian Bufal, Mario Lamina, Guido Carrillo. But then our best, or sorry, our most expensive ever transfer was one of the best strikers we've had, or probably the best striker we've had in the Premier League since we got promoted, arguably. So we've got to, we've got to spend some money. We've got to show ambition. That, that's what's going to keep us kind of, or keep our heads above the water. Because that's, a, for me, that is the main concern. You've got Newcastle, who obviously are going to have incredibly in, just oh, sorry, incredible funds available, you know, given where they were as recently as kind of October, November. Um, you know, Bryson have just gone and have a good season. Of course, who knows what's going to happen with Graham Potter if he if he kind of goes. But I'm sure they're going to be looking to kick on. Crystal Palace, they've got an exciting project with Patrick Vieira and some really exciting young players in there. Um, I'm sure Fulham will be spending money. They've done it before. I'm, I guarantee you Fulham will spend money when they, with them back in the Premier League um, and whoever wins the playoffs. You know, we've seen it as well. So, Southampton need to keep their head above water. They need to go and spend some money. They need to, you know, cut out these mistakes, cut out this deadwood and completely kind of rebuild this squad under new ownership because the fear is you know, they're going to get left behind. I mean, you've seen it for two seasons now. It looks like we're going to finish 15th. You know, given that we were 10th a couple of months ago, we finished 15th last year because of a massive slip up. If we keep slipping up for seasons to come, we will be relegated within the next couple of years. And that's where Southampton need to really, you know, choose wisely this summer. You know, they need to keep this, they need to get their supporters back on side because they've lost a lot of, um, from the fan base, I would say, you know, there's a big split on, um, on the manager right now. So they need this transfer window to go excellently there are loads of there are loads of changes that need to be made but of course the main thing is going to be the squad um so they need to spend some money they need to improve every area of the pitch um and you know keep, like i say keep their heads above water really yeah no, I, I, I think that makes perfect sense in terms of injecting some new energy into the club both in terms of, sort of getting the fan base on side as you mentioned there, there, are, there are a bunch of exciting projects and other teams with some, some sort of new matter New faces in, in the dugouts or new young players. Crystal Palace, I think, have been a really good example of that this season as well. Um, so I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, biting the bullet and actually sort of um, spending some money to to show ambition and actually try and try and make Southampton a much more competitive force as they used to be, um, especially with those teams, as you mentioned, who are almost guaranteed to be spending um, 
and guaranteed to, to, to be approaching things that way. So, um, as always, Dan, yeah, thank, thanks so much for coming on and sort of giving us, um, no, my your, pleasure. your insight into Southampton. Um, uh, it always feels a little bit drab when sort of seasons do end, end up drifting, um, drifting to a close like this. And it does feel that's been the case over the past sort of 10 or 11 games for, for Southampton. But yeah, really appreciate you coming on and sort of giving us your, your insight on what you think needs to be done. No, my pleasure. No, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll see what happens with the title race. I'm very interested. Yes. Yeah, we'll see what happens with that, of course. Uh, and for all those listeners who've been who've been tuning in week in, week out uh, to listen to me here on sort of Rival Recon, as we've been doing before every each and every Premier League game, um, we've tried to keep the flame alight. Um, uh, there, there's a game going on right now, listeners, that I'll, I'll let you know that I, I'm refusing to uh, look at the score. Um, so uh, you could be listening to me thinking you... I'm a, I'm a complete uh, idiot. I don't know what's happening, and actually, the title race is wildly alive, or the title race is perhaps not as alive as we hoped. But um, coming into the last game, I think it's still hopefully there is something for us to play for. Um, obviously, that, that, that last game of the season uh, against Wolves on the 22nd, so there'll be an episode ahead of that. But uh, other than that, thank you very much for listening to to, to Rival Recon throughout this season, and yeah, hopefully, we'll have something uh, still something to be fighting for ahead of that last episode on the 22nd. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.